Welcome back to the greatest motorcycle racing podcast based in the southeastern United States. I'm Jason, a.k.a. Captain Novice, with my man Bo, a.k.a. Chopper. What's up, Bo? <laughs> Just chopping along, man. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. I uh, had a good week and... You know, work is busy right now for me, but it's going well. How about you? I know it's so busy. I, I can only imagine just how, how busy work is because my wife's phone blows up about how many achievements you have achieved on Xbox for finishing <laughs> Halo on Legendary. So, yes, I absolutely believe that work is that That happened a few days busy. ago, and I don't, I don't, you know, we don't need to talk about that. That is a different <laughs> podcast. But, so uh, the world knows now. The cat's out of the, the bag. World, yeah, the, the cat's out of the bag that I am. Captain uh, Legendary now, not, not Captain, Captain Legendary. Novice, Captain that's Legendary. right, the Legendary. Yeah, no, so, you know, I don't play video games generally. I, I play Halo. Like, that's it. Um, and the new one came out, and I played it, and... I had to beat it on Legendary. I've beaten every single iteration of Halo on Legendary, so I had to do it. And uh, it was hard. Like, I'm getting old. It is very hard, but uh, I did it. So, you know, small victories for 46-year-old men like myself. I get you, man. You got to take them when you can get them, right? That's right. That's right. Well, you know, tonight we're you know, we going to talk about uh, one another great American racer, uh, Freddie Spencer. And... You know, Freddie Spencer was, uh, in the 80s, this guy was an icon, you know. He did some things that nobody had ever done, and it was really cool. Um, but before we get to that, I mean, we had some testing uh, for MotoGP this past weekend, and for, uh, you know, I think we had testing a little bit before that at Jerez for World Superbike. So the the motorcycle season, race season, is getting cranked up. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I can't, I can't wait, honestly. I'm... I'm really, really excited for the season to get started. Yep. You know, not even for watching, but for us to ride too, as well. So, yeah. Um, well, just, we we're both excited. Yeah, we're both really excited. That's the truth. And um, you know, we had a uh, the just the rookies and test riders out on track in Malaysia. Uh, well, I take that back. The Aprilia team they still yeah. have concessions, so they were there. Maverick, of course, led the Aprilia team barely faster than the 2019 fastest lap the last time they were there so you know he celebrated um and he just keeps his we'll see what happens this week because he'll be back so we'll right. see what happens when fb when uh fq20 and uh the italian boys show up we'll see what happens but uh some of the liveries are coming out now and i'm gonna tell you those ducatis look incredible which both ones? the are you, are you both the about? teams that I've seen the Premac Ducati and the other team um, the uh, the gray ones I don't know I can't remember the um, anyway because uh, there's 15 Ducati teams now right but the Ducatis I've seen look amazing so I did so see I'm the Premac today the Premac team looks yeah, really good the Premac teams looks really good yeah. the um, and then the other one that looked really good is the team with the two the rookie on it. Um, Digin Antonio, his team. What's the yeah, team? Yeah, yeah, those look pretty good yeah. too. Yeah, I'll yeah. give you that. So, all right. So that's cool. We got a little news there, but uh, we're here to talk about Freddie Spencer. And I mean, I, I don't know how much you knew about Freddie Spencer before you got into this. How much did you know? Uh, really, not a lot. I mean, you obviously had heard the name before, you know, and then and then obviously the the Freddie the Freddie Spencer 
uh, racing school, you know, I'd heard that before. Um, and, uh, but never knew much about the man and the ride until, you know, really kind of diving into this. Yeah. Well, you know, Freddie was born in Louisiana in Shreveport actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started racing at four in dirt track events. Um, there's a theme here with the American riders, right? Yeah. Dirt a little track. dirty. Yep. Yep. Um, and then he was, uh, started in, he, he, uh, he gave, uh, started racing in 78, like with the 250 CC us, uh, national novice class. And, uh, for, it was the, where we used to go for first year professionals. That's how they used to do it. I mean, AMA used to be huge, man. It, yeah, there was yeah. a lot of classes. There was a lot going on. I bet a race weekend was just full of races. I bet it was crazy, but um, you know, so he, he, then after he got there, he was contracted to ride with, uh, Honda, American Honda in the AMA Superbike championship. He won the, he gave Honda their first ever AMA Superbike victory, uh, at Road America in 1980. Um, and that really kind of launched Freddie Spencer into, you know, becoming after that, uh, yeah, yeah, onto the international scene, right? So his success here in America kind of done, kind of done that. Um, in '81, he did something that they don't do anymore. He split time between AMA and Grand Prix, which is unheard of, really. Um, and what I didn't know about his NR500 that he was helping develop was that the cylinders were ovaled in that bike. And I had no idea that anybody had ever tried that. Um, so I learned that. Um, they didn't get much success with it on the NR500 uh, four-stroke Grand Prix bike. But they tried it with oval cylinders. I, you know, tip of the cap to Honda for trying something out of the box, right? Like, well, that's interesting. I, you know, it, it would kind of... It could be the the early stages of the Scooby Doo episodes with Honda at this point, you know, because he, <laughs> yeah. he that kind of followed Freddie Spencer as he progressed with Honda on the GP Pat side of, of the house too, though. Um, well, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yes, yeah. the they they tried some bike. crazy stuff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the fuel tank below the motor, yep, which yep. makes no sense. But you know, I mean, look, you, you gotta they were try, just trying. Right? You, you got to try. try. I, I think they could have, if they'd have really looked at it, though, they'd have realized that didn't work. But, you know, what they were trying to do maybe was lower that center of gravity right, of that right. bike. And, um, you know, it just didn't work. The uh, exhaust burnt his arms. and <laughs> which, is, which is kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird logic to have, though, because you think, okay, well, if we can put the fuel tank towards the bottom, we're going to lo- lower the center of the weight of gravity. But what happens as you ride the bike more? You... Yep. used gas, you know, so that's going to raise the center of, of gravity on the bike as you move right. along. Yep. Well, I, 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 all that's true, and we know that now. They didn't know that <laughs> then. They were trying stuff, you know. We're, we have the benefit of history and data. Um, but in 82, he went and uh, he was full-time in the Honda Grand Prix team. Now, at that point, they went to an NS500 three-cylinder two-stroke, um, and so that's, you know, he was in the two stroke world there mm-hmm. and in 83, he won the title. And at that time he was the youngest ever to win a 500 world cha- 500 CC world championship at the age of 21. Um, Mike Halewood had had it before, but Spencer took that from him in 83. Um, you know, 
it was in 83 when his rivalry with Kenny Roberts really started. Um, Kenny Roberts was really fighting with him, um, and they collided yep. in the second-to-last race in Sweden, and both went off, and Spencer made it through and went and won the race. Um, and was then, it that when he uh, when uh, um, Kenny Roberts made the comment about be, that he got lucky, and then Roberts and me or uh, Freddie Spencer immediately replied, "You know, it's sometimes it's better to be lucky than good." That's that's true. That was later on when they made up. Right, um, right, right. That that feud continued honestly for thirty two years, which is crazy. But they didn't get along until until now recently, and I say recently because it's been in the last ten years. But that interview did happen, and he said exactly that. And ever since then, you know, they kind of talked it out, and they were they were good. But for thirty two years, those dudes did not really get along. Um, so Spencer wins the the title in nineteen eighty three at the age of twenty one. Um, in eighty four. That's when they did the fuel tank under the NSR, the V4 NSR 500 that had the the tank underneath the motor. Um, obviously didn't really do well. And um, he did win three times on that dumb bike. He did still win, um, which is incredible. And then he won when he asked him, please, can we just go back to the other one? Right, right. Um, he won twice with that one. So he won five races in 84 even though uh, he finished fourth in the championship, he still won five races. It's just that bike was just not consistent enough. But that leads me into 85 when he did something that no one had ever done, and that is that he went and raced full-time in the 250cc and the 500cc championship and won the world title in both. Let that sink in for a minute. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're, as I read, I read an interview that he had given um, uh, from GP1 that was published. And to read that, his account, you know, of kind of everything that happened and, and how they got to that point and, and the race weekends that they went through. Um, it, honestly, that, that 250 bike was really almost a Hail Mary. Um, they had six yep. months to, to go from an idea to a working bike. Uh, I think the Honda team that he was working with at the yep. time. And they uh, built it specifically for Freddie. Yeah. And, and that, what I think the idea was they didn't, they didn't have a 250, So they just kind of looked at the 500 and said, well, let's chop it in half and see what happens. <laughs> and, and that's where they went from it. But then, you know, they were doing all this math about even, you know, down to the, um, the break, the stopping power. And I think the idea was, well, we have two brake rotors on the front of the 500 CC but math says that it should only take the one on one side. Well, so they tested the one brake rotor and then Freddie was complaining that it was pulling to one side as he was breaking into a corner. Um, so then they, they went back, tried out two smaller brake rotors, I believe, and then realized, okay, this is the way we need to go from here on out. But, but right. all these test parts and everything that they had coming in, um, I read that they were actually moving um, during a race weekend that they would focus on moving away from uh, and pitting, away from other teams so other teams didn't see what they were doing yep. uh, just because there was so much trial and error and there was just so much new stuff that was coming in for them and that's as they crazy were trying, right as the season went on it really is 
And and let's let's not forget. Let me. I want to mention that in '85 he also won the Daytona 200. He also won the Formula One and 250cc classes. He's the only guy to ever do that at that weekend in a year. Like this guy in '85, you could not stop Freddie Spencer. Yeah, he that he, was it. He rode a lot of laps in 1985. He did, and and you know that is that's just unbelievable. That's just unbelievable. And, you know, I that year, though, there's a lot of speculation that that year contributed to the end of his career. Um, there were wrist injuries that he sustained during the year because of the physical strain, they said, of riding all the bikes. Um, and they believed that that kind of left him, you know, unable to perform at the level that he had before because he never yeah. won a race after 85. Right. Never. And isn't that nuts? Yeah, like, he was, it, it was just like a, he, or he was always uh, uh nearsighted too. So he had a problem. Yeah, he had myopia. Was, yeah, yep. yep. And he had to wear those semi rigid I saw contact the article lens, and yeah. he said contact lenses and he said that he all he never had good vision on track. He always had tears in his eyes. Yep. Are you kidding me? Right. And so I can attack as and, and this is a very this I'm not gonna say I'm not saying that I'm on the level level as Freddie Spencer. But mm. I mean, I wear contacts, but and I know what that feels like when you come out of the track and you get a lot of wind into your helmet, and that that first you know few laps before your eyes are really used to kind of getting wind coming through them, and you, you're just you just tear up and you can't see anything, and it's just it's really hard to see. <laughs> and you can only imagine going you know 100 miles an hour, um, you know, with me being slow, and I find it hard to see. Let alone Freddie Spencer, who's riding on a knife edge on a 500 cc two-stroke motorcycle, um, right. My hat's off to that man. Yeah, you know, so he while he raced over a period of 13 years in Grand Prix, though, he really only raced from 80 to 87, like full seasons. He, so he was kind of like, a, like a, a shooting star, you know what I mean? Like, he did not race that many times. I, I went and looked at his first race was in 1980 at the Belgian Grand Prix. His last race was in 93 at the Italian Grand Prix, but but he didn't race full-time after 87. Uh, and really, he didn't race full-time because of injuries after that 85 year. He just, he really just couldn't, couldn't keep it up and, and just couldn't do it. But he only had 72 starts, and in 72 starts, he had 27 wins, 39 podiums, 33 poles and 24 fastest laps. He won in over a third, or no, I'm sorry. He won in, yeah, is a third. He won a third of the races he was in. That's incredible. He was in a podium in over half the races he was in. That's, a, that's, that's never been matched, I don't right. believe. Now, he didn't have as long a career, of course, but... I don't believe anybody's ever matched that. Not to my knowledge, not yet. As we, maybe Augustini, maybe, because he sure did win a lot, you know. Yeah. Um, and it but, also bears mentioning that Augustini was, uh, uh, he also won two championships in one year, correct? I think that was when they were on the, the 350, maybe, or um, I can't remember. Right. The size. So Spencer was the only one to ever do it 500 and 250. And 250 I'm sorry. Right. I did, yeah. I did, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, but who knows? Augustini just won everything he ever threw a leg over. Yeah. Like, if he if he was riding, everybody else was like, oh, crap. But, I mean, when you sit back and you, you think about how brief, really, 
Freddie Spencer's career was, he did some unbelievable things. He he was very instrumental in making American motorcycle racing popular, I think, and then kind of paved the way for that rainy Schwantz uh, era, you know, that we had in the early 90s because it was because of guys like Roberts and Spencer, the Americans again, battling overseas. Uh, and, and, you know, that was, you know, led into the golden age, really, of what I think is motorcycle racing for the U.S., or, that, or maybe period, because those guys just went at it, man. Yeah. They yeah, went no, at absolutely. it. And but you think about winning the Daytona 200 and two other classes and then going and win the championship at two different classes in GP. You got to be kidding me, man. That's unreal. That's unreal. Just so much talent. Yeah. So and, much talent. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad you, you know, that talent, he really kind of innovated um, how folks ride, you know, because it wasn't the the long arcing, you know, lines spin at max lean angle. You know, it was the get the bike in, get it stopped and get it, get it turned and get it back out again. You know, he was really, right. really good at getting the bike stood back up and getting back on the gas and right. making his straights the a way lot they ride now. than they were, you know, which is a fundamental yeah. um, action that we're taught now, you know, at, uh, at track days, you know, we're taught get yep. into the corner, find, you know, get it turned and then get back out again. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. You know, he, he did do that. And it was, it, it just, it's just amazing when you, when you realize how influential guys like Freddie Spencer and Kenny Roberts and Kevin Schwantz and Rain Rain, and how influential they are to where we are now more than, I mean, we're more than 30 years removed from that unbelievable year that Freddie Spencer had. Now he did, um, later on, he did come back into the AMA Superbike Championship in the 90s. He uh, he did win three races there. Um, he did race a little bit in the World Superbike Championship. But, you know, most of his racing, he did under the Honda banner. Most of it. Right, right. Um, he did some. He raced a, a Kawasaki a little bit. He raced a Yamaha with on the Agostini team. Mm-hmm. Um, he did some stuff. And he raced a Ducati for a little while. But most of his stuff he did on a on a honda most and, of I, his and success. i think yeah well his success all came on a honda really right, right. right but but most yeah so most of the stuff you want to mention but you know since that time you know you mentioned that he'd had a um a, a racing school uh until october 2008 and then he closed that and one of his riders uh nick yeah. nash Founded what we know, uh, you know, founded uh, Yamaha Champions Riding School, which we know now to be an outstanding school for, you know, people that want to learn about, you know, track riding and racing, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and and Ken Hill was one of his chief instructors. I mean, Ken Hill. Yeah. I uh, mean, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, this guy's just, his tentacles are everywhere. And that's just really cool when you start learning about all that stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, you we we don't really you, you don't think about it too much about the guys that really start to pave the way a lot. You know, we see the Marquezes of the world, we see the Rossies, we see we we hear about the the VR forty six ranch, um, but but uh, you know, by and large, I think a lot of that did really start over here, and it's got grassroots here 
in America with just how dominant the American riders were in, in the 80s and the early 90s. And I think you had mentioned it last week and, and, or last week that, you know, some of the Europeans started to catch on to say, okay, these, these Americans are doing something. Let's, let's capitalize on this. Let's, you know, continue to develop our riders in a very similar way. You know, the BR 46 ranch now has, you know, it's got a flat track that it works off of a lot of dirt track stuff. A lot of the, a lot of the, the top level riders now are training on dirt, training motocross, uh, flat track, <clears throat> but, and, and, and the difference I think is that their countries are still pouring the heart and soul into motorsports there. Um, whereas our glory days are, are no more, you know, and, and there's only a select very few, you know, really focused niche group that still seeks out that kind of training, you know, like a YCRS or, or what, or Ken Hill, you know, racer 360, um, the service that he provides stuff like that. Um, to really find that last bit of speed that to, 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 to become successful in the motorcycle racing industry. Um, right. So I just don't think that uh, I don't think I don't want to miss the fact that I really think that a lot of those those skills kind of developed here at home that, that we, you know, we might forget about. And, and anyone that, that, you know, listens abroad, you think, oh, well, you Americans are just taking credit for it. You know, well, it was Agostini that really kind of got things rolling. But I, I'm sorry, the uh, Americans, there was some there were some really strong Americans in the late eighties that kind of, that, that showed on up on the scene. Um, and that really dominated for a while at, in the Grand Prix paddock. Right. He did. Um, and it's funny when you start seeing the connections that, you know, Freddie Spencer or, or, or that he, the, the legacies that he left, you know, younger guys coming into the paddock and working with his former mechanics and, you know, all that sort of thing, um, is really, really cool because it's like how many degrees of separation are you from Kenny, you know, from fast Freddie Spencer or Kenny Roberts or, yeah. you know, uh, Nikki Hayden or, or whoever that is, because, you know, there, there was a time when Americans didn't just show up, they won. Um, and that was, we, you and I long for those days. I know I do every single day. And, you know, I, I just am so unhappy with the fact that there wasn't, the internet wasn't a thing back then for me to watch those races, you know, streaming. Um, the only thing you would see is if they put it on television on one of the three channels occasionally. You know, and it was very occasionally if they were racing during football season or basketball season. Oh, well, you'd read about it in the paper. Right. That was it. Or a magazine if you had the, the magazine, because that was it. And that that's incredible. Now, since he stopped racing, though, you know, we know he did the school. He's still involved. But in 2019, he became the chairman of the FIM MotoGP stewards panel. So, Bo, what would you like to say about the FIM MotoGP stewards? I stand by everything <laughs> I say. I think some of these rules are ridiculous. Um, if we're going to get into a political debate about about rules and how they make sense when Joe Schmo runs off the last little bit of edge track on the last lap and it cost him an entire place, um, I still think it's garbage. Uh, who, whether he's American or not, that could be a chairman of the stewards panel. It means nothing to me. Um, right. And, and nobody's arguing that if they cut a chicane off and go straight, 
that that shouldn't be penalized. That nobody's arguing that. But yeah. the 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 thing with the the we've talked about it at nauseum. We know that. But you know, I have taken issue with some of the stances that Freddie Spencer has. You know, some of the rulings that they've doled advocated, out, and right, yeah. yeah, and he's advocated them and tried to justify them. And I don't know if it's because he lives in London, England now that he thinks he can get away with this, but. You know, I think he needs to move back to Louisiana and let that humidity, you know, re-energize or rehydrate his brain because some of this stuff is just unbelievable. You're right. So I'm glad he's there, but I'm not so I'm not so happy about the job that he's well, the, been doing to be the direction 100% that the boat honest. is being steered. Yeah, possibly, I'm not I'm know. not really happy with that. But you know, we're here to talk about his legacy. So you know, I, I think I, I I want his legacy the way I remember him is as a racer, as Fast Freddie, um, because Fast Freddie Spencer is just a it's a cool nickname. But in 1985, he was doing things that no one's ever done. I know Augustini never did that. He never he never won the Daytona and then won you know two championships in the Grand Prix paddock and. You know that that's incredible. It's it was a different era. I yeah, mean, I, basically, if you rode a motorcycle, you just went and raced whenever you were free. You know, uh, during 1985, whenever he was racing in both classes, the physical toll that that takes on a body, I think, is hard to really, uh, re- really recognize um, by anyone. Uh, in all honesty, even those that race, you know, in a singular uh, season nowadays in MotoGP or Moto2. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, there was one racer, uh, you know, when he was a contention for the 250, um, there was one fellow that he was racing against in Moto2. Well, what would have been Moto2, you know, 250, the, the 250 class. Um, you know, Freddie had come in from a 500cc uh, race, uh, immediately went to his pit, drank as much water as he possibly could. And he would struggle to to make it back out for the 250 race as fast as he could, you know, to make the grid. And uh, I think one race uh, during that championship year, he he wasn't going to make the grid. So one of the other guys actually didn't move off the grid or didn't go to the grid soon enough, so it would give uh, Freddie Spencer enough time to get there. Um, you know, it was a guy that was in championship contention as well. So I can't remember the name of the rider, but um, you know, that just goes to show you the level of respect that is that is across the grid um, whenever you, you know, these guys are racing one another, but also, you know, the level of commitment and the physical toll that, that Freddie Spencer went through to test, you know, not just, <clears throat> not just race two races in a weekend, but you double every single session because he would yep. test the 500 CC and immediately test the 250 and would would was able to jump off of one bike and ride the other bike and and immediately adapt to how to make that 250 go fast you know from what he learned from 500 as well and um just the talent level and dedication and the physical endurance that it would take to to accomplish that i think is something that no one can bat an eye about and and it's something that's that really is all inspiring when you know and really start to look at how physical the 500cc bike really was to ride. Yeah, it, it. we've said it before. I mean, the fact that he was able to do that 
knowing what a monster the 500 cc could be um it's it's incredible that he was able to do that and um you know i i read in one of his uh interviews that i was reading through um that he feels like you know maybe he could have done better if he hadn't had the myopia the short-sightedness and had to wear the contacts but it, he said what it did was it allowed him to really feel what the bike was doing. Yeah, because he had to some pay of attention. His other senses. I, I read that. Yeah, that's as well. right. Yep. Yep. And so that was that's really really interesting. And I, you know, they asked him, you know, what is going on with USA riders? And he's like, well, there's no one there now because there's there's not the same emphasis on it. And he said that's why Spain and Italy have done so well is because they really put a lot of effort into their young riders. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the VR46 Academy, and he was talking about the way Spain does it. And he said, you know, from 78 to 94, Americans dominated the world championship, dominated it. But after that, we got one world champion in Nikki Hayden, right? right or or right. two. And, and uh, we have two. We have Kenny Roberts and Nikki Hayden. And at, one and since and, 94. But after, after Nikki Hayden beat champion, we, we have one win. Right and yeah, and Ben Speed. Yeah, yeah. Since since two thousand and six, when Nikki won two, after that, the only win we have in the last fifteen years of GP racing is Ben Speed's right. at Aston. At Aston in twenty eleven. So these guys didn't have that, and and you know, I I, I just thought while I was reading about this. Um, you know, I thought it was really interesting. You know, he he talked a little bit about in that inter- interview that I read. He talked about the the incident between Marquez and Rossi in 2015, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, uh, Mark is aggressive and Valentino resented it. And I think some of that's true, but I also think that we know Marquez takes it too far. You know, like nobody really punishes him, so he doesn't think it's too far. Well, uh, but you know that I'm not a huge Marquez fan, but I will I will kind of pull back the reins a bit on that Malaysia incident. And I think that that was absolutely a line crossed by Valentino Rossi. Um, oh, sure. No, I agree with you. You there, know, yeah. but, but, but to your point, I, I agree that Marquez, Marquez has proven over his, the course of his career that judgment is never, is not normally at the forefront of his mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I he doesn't care Good about judgment. your feelings. I'm sorry. Good judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, and he talked about when he was there, it was a different time. They didn't have the one manufacturer for tires. You you had who you liked. Right, right, right. And Freddie always got Michelin to make a tire for him that he could ride, but no one else could ride it because he was the only guy that rode like that. And he and, wanted a hard tires too as well, though. Exactly. Right? I mean, yep. They made they did his tire on special request and no one else got it because no one else could ride it. Um, so really, I mean, it's just interesting. Freddie Spencer, just an interesting character. Another American legend of, of, I think, I think Freddie Spencer, motor, he, American motorcycle racing history. Well, yeah. A couple of the quirks about him too, that, you know, he didn't like wearing leathers that had logos on them. Other people's, other companies logos. And I think he had to have a certain kind of soft drink in the pad in his grid as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was it, Dr. Pepper? I think he had to have, or possibly that he, he yeah. required that to be in his in his grit in his pit. Yeah, nothing re- rehydrates you like a good Dr. Pepper. 
And, and they, so that's another really good point too, though, you know, and I don't know if Freddie Spencer was guilty of this, but, you know, we see that, um, you know, like the Marquez's of the world, the Rossi's of the world, and, um, you know, you've seen uh, uh, some of the other younger riders, they're sucking down their, their energy drink, their energy, you know, gel before their, before the race starts, it, you know, and uh, the Kenny Roberts and, and those guys of the, of the, and the Barry Sheens of the world, you know, they're coming to the grid with a cigarette hanging in their mouth and hung over. Oh yeah. Trying not to throw up in their helmet <laughs> yeah. on the starting line. Yeah. You know, it was it, just it was, a different it, time. And, and it, it was, I mean, they, they rode hard and raced hard and partied harder. And, um, you know, it, it, it absolutely is true. And, you know, I think, I think that it, you put those guys in today's racing environment and they would make a lot of people mad because they just didn't care. You know, um, there's a picture I saw of Freddie Spencer, uh, on his bike with the visor taped down, like, literally duct tape taping the visor down Hmm. (laughs) i was like well i guess that's one way to keep it down i came out with the uh, rx7 shield well it yeah yep it was an awry helmet and maybe it was just breaking loose but the helmet was comfortable he didn't want to do it so he just threw some threw some duct tape on it i get i hear you i hear you freddie Whatever you got to do. Right. I mean, he was, he's a track day rider at heart. Let's be honest. Duct tape, if you can't duct tape it and zip tie it, it's broke. You can't do it. But I, I, I think the biggest thing I took away was, number one, how different it is now than it was then. Not only just in American motorcycle racing, but in motorcycle racing in general. The way people made decisions, the way it was run, the environment around the track, everything was different. You know, he 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 talked about the retirement and when you have to stop, and he was like, you know, that you have to be one hundred percent in. If you don't want to do that, then you you just you need to get out it's because time to it's, quit. it's yeah. right. It's time to quit. And he said, I totally understood why Casey Stoner decided to retire and I fully understood it understood it because he was at the height of his game but he just didn't want to give anymore yeah and he did the right thing he did the right thing I think um, Casey Stoner was a was probably born a few generations too late in all honesty um maybe so you know because so. Casey Stoner um the fanfare of Grand Prix racing in MotoGP when Casey Stoner was there just wasn't something that he was into um you know was he just he wanted to go ride the bike and yep. he wanted to go yep. out and he wanted to win and he wanted to to just go and win and and i think that that would have complimented him as well as his riding style would have complimented much more if he would have been you know part of those 500 cc two-stroke days um in the late 80s and early 90s you know i'm sure he would have had a blast running around with all those other guys as well and competing with them and he seemed to have a a very similar mindset just to go out and ride the bike. Yeah. I, I, I think Casey Stoner, um, and, and you and I talked a little bit about it. Uh, I text you about, I sent you the link to his podcast, which he has now mm-hmm. trying to compete with us. What does he know? Come on. Um, no, no disrespect, Casey. I know you're listening. Uh, but you know, I we think, would love to have you as a guest, Casey. Absolutely. We'll do it. We'll, we'll absolutely make fools of ourselves asking questions that you think are dumb. 
Um, but I, I think you're right. I think Casey Stoner kind of fit in with these guys because it was about the motorcycle racing. They kind of lived in a bubble. They kind of, they didn't think about anything else, right? Like it was just race, race, race. And you can see that with Freddie Spencer riding in all those different bikes and all those different classes and all over the world. Just yep. go race. We're on a motorcycle. It's got two wheels. Let's race it. And, you know, so it, it, it was a different time. But I really, really thought when I was reading that this was going to go one way. And I learned so much about Freddie Spencer that I didn't know. Um, you know, it, they asked him who would win in a, in a grid full of the greats. You know, the Agostinis, the Hellwoods, the Dewins, Rainey, Schwantz, Lawsons, the Roberts, and Rossi. Mm -hmm. He said, yep. he said it, it is really a cool dream. But it's not possible. You can't really do it. Everything is so different, you know, from the from the environment around the track, like we talked about, to the bikes themselves, to the rules uh, of engagement. Yeah. Because I can guarantee you that incident between him and Roberts in oh, it would have been a yeah, there would have been uh, long laps or you know. Oh, there would have been. A, oh, the the FIM stewards would have been scrambling to punish somebody. So the irony behind that, I guess, will be that Freddie Spencer would be the one handing that out, right? <laughs> that's right. It is. Um, but I think you know, you have to respect what he did as a as a motorcycle racer. Yeah. There, there, there is just no. Well, if there's you no getting around it, if there's you can none. change the approach of the sport, um, if you can change fundamentally how someone rides a motorcycle around yeah. the yeah. racetrack, I think that that speaks for itself. That's significant. Right? It really is. Yeah. It really is significant. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. I, I think um, I would love to sit down with Freddie and hear the stories of that 85 year. I can guarantee you there's some great stories that, we couldn't find by just scrolling through the internet. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I bet you there were some unbelievable stories. Um, but you know, he, he will always hold a place in American motorcycle racing lore, right? Like you just can't, even though he wasn't an AMA, uh, repeat superstar, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, he was just, he was still, an unbelievable rider and he did his winning at the world level which there's nothing wrong with that um and i think i i think like you said he was significant especially because he did some things that hadn't been done but also because he is now affected the way people ride motorcycles 30 years later yeah yeah he's touched and, the uh, sport for the yep the influence that he's had on the sport is such a long-lasting and and pivotal moment you know, yep. in his riding career and where it started to shift and started to, to turn the way that guys look at riding the bike. I mean, guys like Gary McCoy, you know, they're never going to, they, they won't do that the because they just, like, they just like lighting the rear tire up, you know. <laughs> they like sliding mm -hmm. around an entire corner. Yeah, the Slide King was special to watch. For sure, didn't win a whole lot, you right. know, not comparatively, <laughs> but sure was fun to watch. Um, So, I, you know, I, I just I just always, when I think about, um, what it must have been like during the time that Spencer was racing. He was racing Kenny Roberts Sr. and and those guys. I always, I just long to wish I could see the video and, and the and watch the races. You know, on the grainy uh, yeah, video it, screen to watch it would be racetracks lined with hay bales. Uh, you know, yeah. 
I mean, you think about some of the names of some of the tracks where they raced. Um, mm-hmm. That incident between him and 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 Roberts happened at uh, what is it? It was in it was in Sweden. It was called something. Uh, I can't remember the name of the track. It was some obviously they don't go there anymore because it was Sweden, but um, uh, something. Sp- oh my gosh! Oh well. Anyway, but they just don't go there anymore. Anders, Anderstort or Andersport. Hang on, I'm trying to pronounce it. It's in Swedish. I you got know it. It's yeah, not, it's not easy. Um, but that that moment, like you said, now you can't have those moments like that. The moment between Nikki Hayden and Colin Edwards and Assen, you can't have that moment anymore in in racing. Um, it is somebody's got to get punished. It yeah. can't just mm-hmm. be a racing incident anymore. But um, it, it, you know, not to. It, it seems. And, and I found it. If, if Ander Storp. There you go. What's the name of that track? I got it out finally. You finally wrestled with it, right? <laughs> yeah, it hurt. It hurt a little <laughs> bit, but we got it. We got it out of there. No, what a. It seems almost to a point, you know, that the purity of motorcycle racing um, has been influenced. Um, I don't want to say negatively, but I just want to say almost just to make it. less original um it's more of a commercialized you know boxed package now um it costs an awful lot yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it's pretty it is it's sponsorship driven obviously like every every racing is you know um but it's just lost some of its its heart almost and um you know some championships that 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 still exist in the world or racing events i guess you'd say not really a championship but like um you take the isle of man the Isle of Man TT is still so much a very pure, raw, you know, unfiltered experience and yep. and race that you know you you see the divergence there. And I think there, the you know Isle of Man it was on the FIM championship list at, at one point, correct? Like it was, it, no, I think I, it was. It may have been, but I for don't a know, certain number of years, an a long time road ago, racing championship in Europe right now. Like where they race on roads, and yeah, yeah, it, it's still going. It's not big. I mean, you have to hurt, look to find it. But those guys are crazy to me. Like I, I watch them run, and I'm like, man, they're flying. Oh, it's scary. Oh, like right. my stomach drops when I see them do it, and they jump, they hit the bumps, and the it's just crazy. But yeah, to your point, they they were doing it in its purest form, and I agree with you. I think it's it's commercialized now. It's a little bit watered down because we have the everything has to seems like it, every serious uh, incident seems like there has to be a very serious and almost overreaching and why are we doing uh, this? punishment? Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I would like to use the rule of what happened with uh, you know in the Moto E Championship last year. Yes, he did run into him. Yes, he was hot. But he was turned. He did not hit him with his front wheel. Yeah. And should he have received a penalty? Yes. Should he have been moved all the way back to to where he got no points? Yeah, specifically no. enough to where he lost the championship. That's then, come exactly on, that's, right. That, that's, and the irony of that is the people that decided that are led by this guy, Freddie Spencer. Yeah. What happened, Freddie? What happened to you? 
he got soft over there in England. <laughs> That's what happened. He got soft. We don't know what to do with him. But, you know, I I do hold Freddie Spencer in a high regard because of his history, because he was an American racer who did unbelievable things. Like I said, he had a shorter career, but he he was like a shooting star, man. He shone bright while he was out there, and uh, that was really cool learning a little bit more about him. Yeah, so absolutely. I think that's about all I've got. What about you? Yeah, no, it's uh I think that we covered just about all the the major talking points with with Freddie Spencer. It was, you know, not a lot, you know, but it's very like you said a meteoric um right. rise to and, what he had. And he so. he forever changed motorcycle riding. He really yeah, did. Absolutely. And uh so I guess with that, you know, we'll sign off. We'll talk about another legend of the sport next week. We're going to leave it a surprise because we know you guys like surprises. But, you know, uh, for everybody out there, if you're going to ride this weekend or you're riding around the roads at home, please keep that rubber side down, that shiny side up. Stay safe. Uh, and we might be out there on track with you when the warm weather returns. Um, I'm Jason with my man, Bo. Bo, I'm, I'm saying good night. <laughs> good night, everyone. Have a good one.